What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. What's going on with the Braves' Kalal? And we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, good evening to you, sir. It is going pretty good on my end. Can't complain. I've uh, been sick for the last couple days, but coming out of that now... You didn't have the, uh, the virus. No virus. No virus. But it, it sucks how... If you feel anything wrong, it doesn't matter that pollen counts are off the charts. It doesn't matter that people just get sick sometimes. If you feel anything wrong with you now, you assume the worst. And I had like two pretty bad days just because I thought that I had the COVID and I thought I could have spread it to people. It's just a very uh, anxiety-ridden event. So got through that and feeling great on the other end of it. That's good. I had a similar situation today where we were looking at this this house we're moving into this weekend, and I walked into one of the bedrooms, and my eyes just started flooding with tears for no reason, and or water, as someone might say. And I just started having a coughing fit everywhere for about a minute, minute and a half, and I didn't know what the hell happened. So, And I, of course, thought, oh, my God. COVID just hit me right in the ass for no reason. <laughs> and I was like, no, I think, I don't know, maybe I was allergic to something in the room. I don't know. It's great that we're moving in now that I'm, I'm clearly allergic to that room, but, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, I got to deal with it. At least it's signed. Debts have been paid, etc. Did you consider perhaps it was like some sort of sign from up above or whatever you want to call it? The, the heavens? That sure. that is the room you're supposed to be in and it wasn't like a sick coughing effect. It was just a sign that you're in the right place. I had the uh, inverse reaction. We were actually talking about Ooh, we El Diablo. Home, about maybe not even just El Diablo, but ghost uh, specter of some sort being like, don't come in my room, bitch. Yeah. But yeah. then I thought we toured the house and I went in that room and nothing happened. So I was like, well, seems odd that they would choose this time. The, the specter would choose this time to fuck with me. But specter also knows that we're going to go into the house now. So maybe... He's unleashing his wrath. We'll, we'll find out uh, this weekend when we move in. Yeah, I would definitely put my money on Team Spectre. That that definitely makes the most sense to me. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, that that's going to be a lot of good stories from you about the Spectre in the new room. So I look forward to that, Graham. Oh, yeah. And we're not probably not going to do a podcast next week because I have to – I'm shooting a uh, web series next week starting on Thursday, and we're, next week's just going to be crazy. So – I was going to say if we don't have a podcast next week, it's because the Spectre killed me, but it won't be because of that. Or or maybe it will be, but it will also be in conjunction with this with this web series we're doing. Well, maybe me and Marlins correspondent Rich will do a podcast without you. You ever think about that? Well, there's a hell of a lot to talk about with the Marlins and Braves, Adam. Yeah. And I would be okay with that. Okay. You know how to edit. You've been editing the last few podcasts now. You know what you're doing. So, I'd, you know, the show is yours. Yeah. You're, you're not needed anymore, Graham. No, I don't think so. I'll bring an intern, Jared, and Marlins correspondent, Rich, and we're good to go. That sounds, that sounds great. I listen to that show. Before we jump into the Atlanta professional sports, just real quick, give me or give the users your 30-second synopsis on WrestleMania from this past weekend. Oh, sure. Um, so Adam made, uh, made us watch WrestleMania. Well, before we watched Fastlane, we, we went over to your house to watch Fastlane, which was entertaining. And then I would say WrestleMania was fun the first night. There was a lot of good fights. I thought the second night kind of sucked. 
but the first night was very entertaining. I was surprised at how much entertainment I gathered from it. Uh, pro wrestling is pretty fun when you just sort of let it go. It's still very unrealistic when they're hitting each other and they just need to stop that shit and just grapple and throw each other around. But overall, thoroughly enjoyed it, particularly the Bianca Belair-Sasha Banks fight uh, when Bianca Belair used her, like, 10-foot-long braid to whip uh, Sasha Banks in the stomach, and they did this ridiculous Foley effect to make it sound like it was a whip. Uh, and she, like, held her stomach and was, like, in pain and stuff. That was so funny. It was It was enjoyable. I liked it. Okay, so I, I feel like two months ago you would not have said that, so I'm glad to hear a different take on it. And you took it for what it is. It's entertainment. We're not, you know, we don't need to dissect the 40-man roster of WrestleMania. You just take it match by match and enjoy the run. Yeah, I, I really did not like the second night that much. It was uh, I thought it was very underwhelming compared to the first. I also think part of it was because there was the rain delay for the first night. So, like, it was match after match after match. And the second night, there was definitely a lot more bullshit between the matches. Well, there was more bullshit, but the matches weren't that entertaining. Like, the first one, I thought, with the Fiend and all that stuff sucked. I thought that the tag team's women's match sucked. The final fight was good, but everything else, I thought, was just very boring in terms of either storyline or just the action, the choreography. Yeah, we also weren't together with our friends watching the second night betting, making $1 bets. Yeah, I could have watched that Bianca Belair fight all day. That was amazing. Same with the Sean McMahon getting flipped off a cage from 100 feet up and landing on his back. That was so cool. Yeah, and Braun Strowman breaking the cage as well to get Shane McMahon. That was awesome. Yeah, like that is fun, stupid bullshit. Like there was nothing like that on the second night. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But yeah, I just wanted to hear hear your opinion. Get it out there that wrestling's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I'll be watching some more. We got Xfinity now, so we got free access to the Peacock. So I'll be I'll be watching that shit some more. Hell yeah, brother! Should we talk some uh, Atlanta professional sports now? I think I'd rather just make this a WrestleMania podcast. We probably lost our core audience now, so what's the what's the point in talking Atlanta professional sports just, at this juncture? Just keep it rolling. I, I mean, I've kind of hit my WrestleMania knowledge for the most part, so sure. if, we're, if this is a strictly wrestling podcast, then we just need to end the podcast now, a tight six and a half okay. minutes. Well, until next time, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> nice. <Bye>. Good. <laughs> Good Daniel Bryant reference, Graham. Proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's jump in, Adam, to the Atlanta Braves, who are in the midst of a shitstorm, I would say, early on in the season. It's not a shitstorm we can't recover from, but a shitstorm nonetheless. There are problems with this team, particularly from a pitching staff standpoint. It seems like every night, minus the opening night game at Truist Park, we were giving up at least five runs, be it the starting pitching not working or the bullpen just imploding. It's not looking good. The offense also sucks, minus Pablo Sandoval and MVP Ronald Acuna Jr. He, We talked about it in our season preview show. My opinion was that for the Braves to win the World Series, Acuna has to play at an MVP level. He has done that and more. He looks like a not a totally new player, but he just looks so dominant, the elite of the elite. I would say right now he is the best player in baseball at this at this point offensively for sure i don't know if that's gonna last i mean this is kind of like a herculean effort it's like every day he's hitting at least one home run but he's been unbelievable but the rest of the offense for the most part has been dog shit hitting well under you know a lot of guys hitting well under 200 austin riley looks lost um you know 
Ozuna's struggled, Ozzy's struggled, Dansby's struggled. Freddie's gotten some big hits, but overall he's kind of struggled too. And But the thing is that this team is competitive and they're in games. It's just like, you know, we're just not getting a lot from people that aren't named Sandoval and Acuna right now. Yeah, and to touch on Acuna and how good he has been, dude has 1.3 war already on this season. Like, through 13 games. He has 12.3 war for his career. Like, he... Like you said, he is right now. He is the like he's on Mike Trout level with the way he's hitting. Yeah, six home runs yeah, he, already. He makes Mike Trout kind of look like a bitch right now. Yeah. I mean, like it's literally every game in that Marlins series, he hit at least one home run. Six home runs, four forty-seven batting average, twenty-one hits in thirteen games, and not to mention, it's not just the home runs. I mean, the thing that he does something different every night that just makes him not only one of the best players in the league, but the most fun. Like the Sunday night game against the Phillies, where he hits a routine ground ball to shortstop to Didi Gregorius, who's a great short fielding shortstop, and runs it out. Like it's it's ridiculous. Like the guy just is having so much fun playing baseball night in and night out. Like he it's just infectious. And he's made comments on how he realizes that you know, his other teammates aren't there right now, but he said, look, it's a team game. It's a long season. There's going to be ups and downs. And he doesn't mind putting these guys on their backs right now because we're only 13 games into 162-game season. Ozuna's not going to stay down forever. Freddie's not going to – I mean, Freddie's been whatever. Like, he hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't hasn't done a lot. These guys aren't going to stay down. The lineup's going to get there, I hope. But, yeah, I mean, the, the concerns are – I'm not worried about Dansby. Dansby would be fine. He had a big walk-off hit against the Marlins today. I'm uh, very concerned about Austin Riley. He's back to just not competitive at-bats again. Yeah, giving away giving away a lot of at-bats. And Scott Coleman of Talking Chop had a great stat line uh, that he's posted over the last couple of days. And here, here's, a, here's a quote over Austin Riley's last 400 plate appearances. He's slashing 201, 260, 355. And it struck out 32% of the time. Woof. With only a 6.5% walk percentage. So that's so, like that's like a full season of at-bats, right? Yeah, I mean, some people might get 500 at-bats, but that's, I mean, yeah. And I have no doubt that at some point, if Riley, you know, sticks with it, he's going to get hot again, go on a tear for two or three weeks, and then kind of maybe regress back to what it has been when he's not hot. I mean, think about it last year, too. He went on that stretch in August where he was just ridiculously hot and did a lot of great stuff. But, you know, and he did some stuff in the playoffs for sure that won us some games or put us in position to win games. And he plays really good defense. I don't think anyone can take that away from him. He's made a number of good plays already to start the year, and he's covering a lot of range. And I've been very impressed with the glove work. I think he's a well above average defender. But offensively, he cannot put it together. Um, that's not to say he can't ever, but it's just we're starting. I think we have a big enough track record right now where doubt is starting to creep in the mind of a lot of Braves fans when it comes to the future and present of Austin Riley as an offensive force. It's just It just doesn't seem like it's lining up right now. And he's certainly going to have a long leash, especially with the way he's playing defense. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was always on board with – Oh, Austin, he's young. Like it took a lot of players a long time to figure it out as well. He's going to get it, but you know, watching his at bats early in the season, I'll say this much, Graham, it was enough for me to 
comfortably drop him for my fantasy baseball lineup. And that's saying a lot. And that that has big time ramifications for Austin Riley's future, folks. Let's let's just be clear about that. Real, yeah, real life ramifications. Like I made my assessment. I I saw him chasing way too many balls outside. Like he's going to run into a few homers eventually. But if you're zero and two, like every at bat, like you're you're not going to be successful in this league. And that's been not that Ronald was ever what Austin Riley is, but. Ronald is laying off any pitch that's outside of the strike zone right now. Yeah, I think he's only struck out nine times this year so far. And we always talked about how there's such a big gap in Acuna's swing and that people can get him to chase, particularly high fastballs. And his swing looks so much more compact. Um, He has radically changed his game. and hasn't just radically changed his game offensively to be even better. He's changed his body. There's no more baby fat on that face. He is lean. He is a lean beast. And my God, it's just like every at bat, you just think he's going to hit a home run. And pretty much, you know, uh, maybe a quarter, not a quarter of his at bats, probably like an eighth of his at bats, he has hit a home run. And I just add, but I mentioned, you know, doing all the things on base pass, stealing bases, taking advantage of, of opportunities when he doesn't hit home runs, playing great defense. He made a big catch in that Phillies game on Saturday night as well to keep the Braves in the lead. And, I mean, this guy just does it all. And I think now we are seeing the potential, the true potential of Acuna. He's scratched the surface. He's been great. It's not like he's been dog shit until now. And I'm sure, you know, this pace is obviously unsustainable, hitting 442 and hitting a home run every day. But holy shit, we are seeing what this guy can be. MVP level player, potentially all-time great player. Um, His head is locked in. There is no there's no lackadaisical bullshit going on with him. There's no not hustling um stuff around the bases and things like that. Not I mean that wasn't really even happening last year, but this is just a different mindset Acuña I've never seen before. It's like Acuña's on crack right now in the best possible way. <laughs> it I mean it, it is truly ridiculous how like you said him and Pablo have been our offense like today Graham and I were doing a little uh suit shopping at the men's warehouses you know we, we do pretty often we've got our weekly appointments at the men's warehouse but i wasn't too locked into the game today i heard on the radio that sandoval hit another three-run pinch hit home run and i asked graham i was like well how do we get the other two runs he's like who do you think i was like oh acuna the only other person that is doing anything on this offense right now it's it's remarkable but you know like you said, he's not going to stay this hot. This is ridiculous. Um, but hopefully, you know, maybe Austin Riley's watching Acuna, and when Acuna gets a little cooler, maybe that's when Austin comes up, Graham. Maybe a little back and forth. Not not to compare the two, but it's just just hoping that the rest of the offense gets their shit together at some point over the next week or two. Yeah, we just got to get more consistency from everybody. And I, I think we will. We've seen signs of life from Ozuna, Freddie. Ozzy's starting to, even though I know he's still not hitting that well, at least he's getting on base more than he was. He drew three walks in the, in the game last night against the Marlins. Um, still playing good D. Darno has been solid as well. Um, even though I know he kind of had a rough last couple of games. But, you know, I'm not too worried about the offense other than Riley. You know, Pache, before he was hurt, wasn't doing much. And that's okay. We don't really, like we've said, give him a long leash. He's playing great defense. 
Um, but yeah, Riley's the big the big factor right now for me in terms of who I'm like legitimately concerned about on this offense right now. Everybody else, I'd probably say Riley's at the top, and maybe Dansby. Net, but Dansby's starting to show some signs of life, and he had three hits today, including the walk off hit. Um, but yeah, Riley's at the top of my list in terms of people who I'm extremely concerned about on the offense, at least the, the pitching staff is another whole another ball game. And I'm concerned about pretty much everybody with the exception of Huasker, you know, before you get into that, I, I want to go back to Pache because, so we know he's injured now. What was it? A was he the groin and freed was the hamstring, uh, or may, maybe vice versa. I can't remember. I know. I, well, I know that freed. Something was up with his leg, which is where that hamstring is. We know we're a medical show here. I only asked you because you're the doctor, you know. Right, right. I can't remember what was going on with, with Pache, honestly, so, you know, I'm not a fan. But uh, not that I'm not a fan of Pache. I was being sarcastic at myself for those that think I'm slandering Pache. I'm not. And I can't remember what happened with – I think Freed, they said Freed hurt himself running from second to third at his last start. But I wouldn't be surprised if something else was going on with Freed before then. Because uh, I know he got hit with a pitch in his start before the Marlins start, and he looks like uh, deer in headlights, just mentally not there. I mean, he's still got the the bulldog determination in the sense of like the look in his face, but the fire in his eyes isn't there, and the, mentally he's not there. It doesn't seem like it's uh, it's an odd thing watching Max Fried struggle as much as he has so far with the eleven four five ERA. He's given up fourteen runs and three homers. And only three starts. As much as I love Max Freed, I still want to finish my thoughts on Pache. Sorry, sorry. I know I kind of went on a tangent there. <laughs> you keep skipping over Pache, Graham. I don't go on tangents very often, so this is this is rarefied air we're, we're in right now. Folks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, ne- I've, I've never heard you do that before. Pache, Graham. I'm, d- I'm going to be direct, clear, concise here. I think, I mean, he's hitting, he's four for 30, hitting 133, and he has shown... Zero pop, and he's not putting together the same competitive at-bats that he did in the playoff. And and I think it was Snicker or Anthopoulos. One of them was saying, we were willing to sacrifice the offense for the defense. But poor hitting, I'm thinking more like hitting 230 to 240 range, not 133. So there's going to be real talk down the road if this keeps up about putting Christian Pache back in the minors. Granted, we have no other outfield depth, which is another problem. So you want Ender out there every day? And don't tell me you're getting excited about Ender because he's gotten on base a few times over the last two days. You know I'm not excited about Ender. Okay, good. Some sort of deal would have to be made, bring in a veteran. But we, we can't have, with no DH now, we can't have just 7-8-9 be Pache... Alex Jackson in the pitcher, you know, like we, we, we got to have something a little better than that at the bottom of the lineup. Well, hopefully Alex Jackson isn't doing that every day, but I, I hear you. I think you get my point. I get your point. I mean, Riley too. If Austin Riley, if, if let's say this, if the rest of the offense was playing up to their standard and Austin Riley and Pache were struggling like they are now, are we having the same conversation? Uh, probably not this early. No. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I hear you, but I still, if the offense is doing better in June, which I hope to Christ they are, we're going to be seller dwellers. Uh, 
then I don't care really what Pache bats right now. If he's like the weak link in the lineup, then so be it. I think we'll still. I think we're going to see some more competitive at bats from him when he comes back. I I, I have a lot of faith in him. Um, I think he's going to be okay. I don't think he's going to you know be smacking the ball all around the place. I don't think he's going to have a you know he's going to be hitting three hundred and having a you know six hundred slugging percentage or anything like that. But I think that we're going to see a better Christian Pache offensively when he returns. And I don't have a lot to go off of, but that's just that's just what I believe. And I can only hold on to that shit I saw in the playoffs last year. But, you know, if he can do it then, he can do it now. And um, he's still very much in development. He's not, um, he's not a finished product. He's so far less of a finished product than Austin Riley is. And he, he hasn't played more than, like, 15 games in the majors, I think. So let's, let's just give him some time. I, I'm I'm patient, Graham. I, I just want to make sure that we're evaluating all players. Of course. The same, you know. Like, yeah, we well, can't not say same. like yeah, we can't say like, hey dude, um, you know, it's okay to hit one hundred all year or anything like that. But with someone who who provides such value defensively and still has it was very young and can develop, I'm more willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Than, than some other folks. You also can't argue that Ender has not been a better hitter so far this year than Pache. Ender's not making great contact, though. He's still, like, his hits are just these little flares. and I mean, the exit velocity must be, like, 80 miles an hour. I mean, like, I, I swear to God. He's like the offensive version of Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson still has a zero ERA, but he had four base runners get on, get on base last night and somehow got out of it. That's just not going to last. Just like Ender looping balls over the second baseman's head is not going to last. Would you prefer a point one, a point one war or a minus point three war? Well, it's minus point three Pache. I, I, I'm not, I don't know, Graham, which ones would you prefer? I mean, obviously though? you want point one war, but you can't really evaluate war yet. I mean, with Acuna getting 1.3 so far is impressive, but I mean, come on, we're, we're two weeks into the season. That That is Edder versus Pache. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, you know, war fluctuates, Adam. So I, I guarantee Ender will be will will lose all that shit as time goes along. Lose his point one war. Yes. Wow. Yeah, he's gonna lose it, lose it all. Mm. Oh, I got a huge bone to pick with Dansby Swanson. Huge. I can't remember which Marlins game it was, if it was last night or the night before. But there was a scenario where the Marlins had infield in. There was one out, and Dansby was on third base. The ball is hit to the third baseman or shortstop. I don't know who it was, but look, they're infield in. It was on the grass. Dansby, once again, just like Game 7 of the NLCS, breaks to home, even though he doesn't have to, and gets thrown out. He is a fucking dumbass when it comes to base running. That is just inexcusable. What is up with breaking from third with one out when the ball's on the ground? And it's hit. On your side of the field. It's not like it's hit to the second baseman. The second baseman's playing back. They say Dansby is smart because he went to Vanderbilt. He is not a smart base runner. That is bad. You can throw your analytics of base running out the door. That is shitty situational base running. Have you ever heard of the concept of running on contact? Yeah, but that's a dumbass decision. When the ball... You don't run on contact. Adam, we were taught this when we were like eight years old. There's situations where you run on contact. Yes, but this is not one of them. How can you defend this? If it went to short, he scores? 
No, Adam, infield in. Infield in. It went to the grass. And the ball, he saw it the whole way and broke anyway. It makes no sense to run from third with one out when the ball is hit on the ground and the infield is in. It is absolutely the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and it's happened twice now. Dansby is a fool when it comes to base running, situational base running and awareness. That's that's a broad statement, Graham. So you're, you're basing that very broad, very opinionated statement off of the two situations that you can remember of Dansby base running? Yeah, that's fucking ridiculous. That's inexcusable. Inexcusable base running that gives the other team an out. What if his coach told him run on contact? And takes away a man in scoring position. How can you defend this? I just don't. Chip Carey said he was told to run on contact. And <laughs> well, then Ron Washington needs to be fired, or not be the third base coach. That's fucking bullshit. And we and they they put this up there the other day, how we have like over 250 years worth of experience on, in terms of our our coaching staff, and that's that's the fucking shit that we're seeing. Not only that, but in the game last night, Ender is on first, and they do a bunt and run with Charlie Morton. And Charlie Morton pops it up, and Ender gets doubled up. And then Acuna hits a home run. But no, we don't get to score that other run because we did a, a, a bunt and run. That is just some bad coaching, base running, whatever. Okay, Graham, we, we understand. You're very upset about this. We, we get it. I, I, have, I, have a, I have a source here of basic baseball, Graham. It is from learnyouthbaseballcoaching.com forward slash run on contact. And there are two definitions related to run on contact. The first one is late innings and a runner on third base representing the tying or potentially winning run will run on contact in order to score. This is not a blind run as the runner, although immediately running on sound, will check to make sure the ball is on the ground, then proceed. Yeah, and it was right next to him. He's obviously going to get thrown out. He was out by 40 fucking feet. I haven't been this worked up about anything in a long time. This just pisses me off. Nothing anyone says makes sense right now to me. No one can justify this. You shouldn't be running on contact when the ball is hit. I mean, okay, if you you shouldn't be running on contact when there's one out and you're the guy on third. Pablo Sandoval also fucked up. Ball, I don't know why he was even running on the bases, but ball hit to the outfield, one out. Thank God uh, Adrianza scored when he tagged from third. Sandoval breaks on a ball that's hit to the outfield, and then he gets doubled up because the guy made the catch in right field. Yeah, that, that was, that was god-awful. All of these were god-awful plays. Pathetic base running loses ball games, and it lost us the NLCS in Game 7, and I have, like, zero confidence in this team's ability to run the bases beyond Ronald Acuna right now in terms of situational awareness base running. It is ridiculous that all three of these things happen. You can rank them however you want. They're all inexcusable. They're all bad plays, and they contributed to us losing every single one of those games. Giving away outs via base running with dumbass decisions just infuriates me beyond reproach. I, I am just incensed as, as if you couldn't tell at this point in time. No one can defend the Dansby Swanson breaking from third. So you are just going to completely dismiss my source of LearnYouthBaseballCoaching.com. Yes, and I will, that I will says, dismiss anyone who justifies Dansby Swanson running from third, ball on the ground, infield in. Not a hard hit ball either, and just saying go. 
That is ridiculous. Will you, will you admit that the run on contact is a baseball play? I will say it's a baseball play, but know your situation. That's not the situation to run on contact. And I've seen it from this team from other people, too. And I don't get it. Ball's hit to third. You're on third. You do not just break. What if he had a big lead and the third baseman could have just come back and tagged him out on third anyways? That, too. Just, like, for the love of God, I don't understand. That's, that, that's the one that pisses me off the most. They're all bad plays, but that Dansby play pisses me off the most because it, it, it just brought back PTSD from the NLCS. Everybody bitches and moans about Austin Riley. Dansby Swanson was the true culprit of that. He, he started it. If he doesn't break, we still have guys on second and third with one out. Who knows what happens after that? We'll, we never will. If we want to talk about stupid fundamental plays, how about the two bunt chances Ender has gotten in the Marlins series where instead of just you know showing bunt early and getting a bunt down, the first time he showed it late and just like fouled out, and then the second time he pretended to bunt, and then takes the ball, the bat back like he's Juan Pierre in 1998, and then just slaps the the slowest Ender ground ball up the middle to the pitcher for a double play. That was the one that got me and got me off team. Ender could ever be a viable major leaguer again. Yeah, that was also terrible. Totally agree. I, I had zero defense for that. Yeah. So if if the rest of the lineup's not hitting. You got to play fundamental baseball. Yeah. For the record, I do agree that Dansby screwed us there. I just like to get you worked up. Yes. You did a good job. I think I'm about to have a stroke. Sorry for the elongated rant. We haven't had a good Graham rant in a long time. That was like 2017. I'm concerned we already already need a therapy session for you. If you're that worked up on April 15th, 13 games into a 162 That's that's a problem. My face is hot. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm out of control. I might even, I might even drinking this week. So I was about to ask if you were back on the liquor this week. No, or something. I, am, I am sober as a bird, as our friend Gabe Peacock likes to say. You're passionate, Graham. I'll give you that much. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think everybody should be fired. I'll take that back. I'm sorry. All right. So let's talk, Adam, about this pitching staff and how much they've, they've struggled. Let's start with your boy and my boy too who I like very much, especially after his heroic performance in Game 5 last year of the NLCS, A.J. Minter. Currently has a 7 ERA, um, has walked 5 in 6 innings, and our man doesn't look so hot. He also blew the game today, had a save opportunity, blew the game, and he's just, the you know, sort of the, uh, just one of many that have struggled so far this year. So, it was like we were saying when we were going to Men's Warehouse today for a bougie Buckhead appointment. You know, you lose guys like Melanson and Shane Green and uh, O'Day, right? And you think, okay, these guys who pitched really well last year can just fill, fill the gap, and we're good. So far, that theory doesn't hold water. We have not, and they, you know, I'm sure a lot of these guys are going to get better as the season goes on. I, I still have faith in Matzik and, and Minter. And Will Smith, even though I know they've all been terrible. Grant Dayton, still have faith in him. I know he's been awful too. But man, it's just like it's just it's just like when every when one person sucks, it's like everybody sucks. It, it's just been and and I think those holes, not having uh, Green, Melanson, and O'Day are really 
you know, we're being exposed right now, potentially. It could all turn around and be okay, but so far it hasn't. And I think Snickers also struggling to know when to pitch guys in, in certain scenarios, with the exception of Will Smith seemingly, you know, being the closer. And Will Smith looked good in the, in the, in the Wednesday night game against the Marlins. I believe he struck out the side. Um, but it's like he's either striking out the side or he's just in hot water. There's really no in between with him. The whole thing is is uh, it's not looking so hot right now. Yeah, the the depth certainly is an issue, and I'm like scared for Will Smith right now because he's been out there every other game, and I mean this season is just so different from last season. We have to have you know the depth to not have Will Smith be in every close game, and obviously losing Chris Martin off the bat that that makes it even worse after losing Melanson and. Shane Green and O'Day as well. Um, fortunately, Sean Newcomb has looked solid, but yeah, Minter is like you said. He, he looked like the 2019 version of AJ Minter. Yeah, especially he walked three guys last night, and then the first battery face of the day, he also walks. He, he just doesn't have it, and but we don't have the depth to just let him sit for a few games and you know get a shit together. So it's it's certainly problematic. I, I've got two names for you, Graham. See mm-hmm. if these get you excited. In our organization, we still have Carl Ed- Edwards Jr. and Jesse Biddle. Oh, Jesse Biddle. I forgot all about him. Yeah, we, we signed him and Carl and Carl Edwards Jr. again a couple weeks ago. Um, mm. I, I, I'd like to get Carl Edwards Jr. up here, the veteran. He looked solid in spring training. I'm not saying he's our answer, but he, he could probably throw strikes at least. Yeah. I mean, we, we just need more veteran arms right now. Like, it, it's It's tough. We're, we can't just ride Will Smith and Matzik all damn year. No, and, and, and Matzik has overall looked looked good. Um, great whip, great ERA. hasn't given up a hasn't given up a run yet. But uh, and I think I mentioned before that he hasn't looked good, but he has. I was getting him and Mentor confused. Something they kind of look similar in my mind. But yeah, I, I think we definitely got to beef up this bullpen. Getting Chris Martin back hopefully soon will be nice. Um, I like to see more of Sean Newcomb. Um, he's been in four games so far, and, and he's looked out of everybody. Has he been our best looking reliever? Probably, yeah. I mean, him. Ma- I mean, Matzik still has a zero ERA. Yeah, I say Matzik and him have probably been the best relievers. I know Luke Jackson still has a zero ERA, but that ain't lasting. How much? That, you know, how how painful is that for you to say that Luke Jackson still has a zero ERA? Well, it's crazy. It also just shows how ERAs or not the end-all be-all stat for a pitcher like a, um, in terms of individual performance. I mean, four base runners last night. It's a miracle. And he's and he's getting, you know, these outs also are loud outs. He's gotten a bunch of balls that have been hit hard, but they've been right at guys. So I, I and, and his pitches aren't competitive. He's leaving pitches in the middle of the plate. doesn't matter if it's curveball or his fastball. Um, you know, everything's in the middle of the plate. And he doesn't throw his fastball enough. He relies on his off-speed stuff, and, and, and I think he's got a bad balance there in terms of selecting whether or not to throw the off-speed or the fastball. It hasn't completely bitten him in the ass because he doesn't give him for a run. But the the results are there in terms of the whip. He has a 1.85 whip and 4.1 innings. He is going to get slaughtered at some point. It, it is coming. And I hate that he keeps being used in high-leverage situations. Show the man some respect. He is the slider man, Graham. I don't care if you like him or not, but don't call his slider either an off-speed pitch or a curveball. It's a slider. He throws fastball slider. Slider man. Luke Jackson, slider man. Get that in your head, Graham. 
Sorry, Slider Man. I apologize. Thank you. Like, I, I, don't... I like Luke Jackson a lot as a person. I just want to go on the record and say that. I've read articles with him of he knows how much shit he got, especially in 2019. We blew like seven saves in a row or whatever it was, and how the fan base is kind of like always freaking out when he's in the game. But he's like, you know, I'm going to keep giving my best and doing my all, and that's all we can ask from anybody. So, I mean, he's here. He's trying. And even though, you know, he's struggled – He's um he's persevered through the struggle so far. I don't think it's going to last, but you know, uh he he's he's a competitor. He he tries his ass off. You can never take that away from him. He's one of the like four or five best we got right now. So, which which is just sad. We're, we're stuck with him for that's a while. Case. We're stuck with him for a while, but yeah, yeah. Nate Jones concerns the hell out of me. He's already given up two home runs. Uh, yeah, and he was pitching in like the seventh or eighth inning. I I don't know what Snickers doing with this bullpen. It doesn't seem like anyone has a defined role right now, and I and I and I'm curious as to, and maybe it's over usage, over work, and people just got to go and they got to go. With the exception of Smith, like I was saying, it's like you might see like last night we saw Nate Jones in the seventh. Um, you know the other night we saw Luke Jackson in the seventh. You know it's like who is yeah you know, that's a big thing I've heard about for a lot of bullpen guys is knowing what your role is helps you mentally prepare. And I feel like there is no defined role for anyone right now. I'm kind of surprised looking at Nate Jones' numbers because I agree, like, he's had a couple pretty brutal appearances, but he hasn't given up more than one run. He's only given up two runs on the year. Yeah, but the the whip is the thing that, that, that scares me. Uh, 1.69 whip for a lead rank, great. Um, so he's, you know, he's slightly south of giving up, you know, potentially – two walks and hits per inning pitch per inning. And that's just, that's the, you know, that number keeps ballooning. And then things will only get worse in, in, in the end game. I think you're more of a sabermetrics guy this year than you were last year. Well, I think, I think, and there's also a ton of it, like FIP, which I don't, uh, I haven't really seen anybody's FIP yet, fielding independent pitching. But yeah, I really like WHIP a lot as a stat. I know it's kind of like, you know, to a lot of people who are in this, I'm not really that into sabermetrics. I like it, but the reason I'm not as into it is I don't understand a ton of it. But walks, walks and hits per innings pitch to me, even though there's also other things where it's like, oh, maybe you got dinked a lot, and that makes your whip go up. So how can we really evaluate that? That's when you start getting into Sierra and FIP and shit like that. But it gives you a pretty good indication, I think, of like, uh, you know, being able to separate it from the ERA. You know, like Luke Jackson's ERA I and mean, whip is 1.85, but his ERA is zero. So I mean that that's that's showing me that he's getting pretty fucking lucky. You know, he's getting he's letting a lot of people on base. But um they're not scoring yet, but they they will if he keeps letting that many people on base. So that's why I like that stat. Cuz you can sort of separate from the ERA and be like, "Okay, how close is it?" You know, like Matzik's whip is 0.90 and his ERA is 0, which tells me, "Okay, he's kicking ass." You know, cuz he's like letting under a walk and hit per innings pitch and his ERA is 0. So that's pretty close. So the farther, the more disparate those numbers are to me, the more concerned I get about uh, a pitcher. Where's the eye test coming to play? Well, the eye test is important too. I think. I mean, you can, to a degree, but it's all also about the evaluator of the eye test. But the stats are the stats, and tape don't lie. As uh, I think Alan Iverson said that. Fair enough, Graham. Fair enough. So we we got some work to do yet. We're not a finished product. I liked no. I liked how you compared. This team, the Braves right now feel like the pre-Nate McMillan Hawks. Yes. Like, yes, they do. You, you know the talent's there, but they're not super disciplined. 
They don't show up every night, and the chemistry's not there yet, which is weird for this team because, you know, the Braves are all about the chemistry. Like, they're they're trying to mix it up still, but it, it's not the same faces, especially – I don't know. It, it's weird because, like, you look at some of the games where our offense is – like, we've, we're putting up a lot of runs recently, but it still feels like yeah. they're not clicking. No, and a lot of that's just Acuna is carrying this team on his back offensively right now. He is making everything go. Like, he's scoring all the runs, it feels like. And we're not getting those those clutch hits late like we used to. And no. we're not holding – we've already blown – I think last year we were like some – it was like 40-0 and 0 or something, like when leading after eight, and we've already lost three of those games and 13 games this year. Yeah, we had like the best bullpen in baseball arguably last year. That is, that is not the case so far this year. That 40-0 and 0 stat is wrong because I realize now it was a 60-game season, but you, you know what I'm getting at. We were really good there. Right, right, yeah. It was we – were, we were really good. But if you look at, you know, in terms of like the amount of runs we've given up – Right. I mean, um, especially over the last like week or so, I mean, the Marlins score five in the first game, 14 in the second game, six in the third game, seven or six today. So it's like we're giving up a lot of runs, but we're also not it's not like we're not scoring runs. It's just, you know, and the same thing with that that, that Phillies game we lost, we gave up seven runs, Um, gave up four runs the night before that. You know, the, the first game of the year we won, we gave up six runs in seven innings. So it's like the pitching staff, at least the offense is putting up some runs, even though a lot of that's Acuna. The pitching staff, to me, is kind of the most to blame right now if we, had to, we have to push blame anywhere because they're just giving up a shit ton of runs right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's no way around that. Like, even if you score, you know, in the game where Freed went out, like we still scored. It was still a competitive game. It was like 5-5 five to five or something. But when you score five or six runs and you got Max Freed on the mound, you should expect you know, that to be a, a well-kept lead. Good news, Graham, is we do have all these young arms that we haven't seen yet, such as Mike Soroka, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright. So maybe we're going to have to get a little more creative in terms of maybe one of those guys has to be a bull, bullpen guy. I don't know. but Yeah, I was just thinking that when you are saying those names. Because like in my mind, my boy, Oscar Yanoa, I wanted him coming out of that bullpen because he, is, I mean, he is a guy that give you can give you two, three innings. He could close a game for you, bring a ninety-nine gas. He could do whatever he wanted, but he's been too damn good as a starter to pull him. All of a sudden, we're looking at Bryce Wilson. Maybe he's in the bullpen now. Kyle Wright. Maybe he's in the bullpen. I don't know, but we got to use these arms somewhere because what we're throwing out there right now is not going to cut it for the entire six-month season. Right, and if you keep using the bullpen as much as we have so far, then you're really screwing yourself. Oh yeah. Because guys will break down, you know. We're getting a lot of usage from folks at this point. And can we talk about Oscar Yanoa for a second? My God. Like, that, his last start was, I think, the first game against Miami, right? Correct. Yeah. Holy shit. That was, I mean, he's our best starter right now. You can't deny it. Um, two starts, he's been superlative. But that last start especially, six innings, ten strikeouts. I think I'm going to give it one hit. The thing I love so much about how he mixed it up, pun intended, was the competitive nature of his pitches. Strikeouts 5, 6, and 7 all came on his slider. Every single pitch, that the, all three of those strikeout pitches were balls, but they hung up in the zone around the knees, and then they just died. 
and guys swung at him each time to strike out. And his, he mixed up his pitch as well. His fastball touched 100 at one point. It was consistently 98-99 with good movement. He looked unstoppable. He was an absolute beast. I loved every second of watching that game when he was pitching. I was like, this is just quality shit right here. This, I mean, like, he just, I mean, you got to keep him in the rotation. You got to keep him, obviously with Free going to DL or IL, whatever they call it now, he, he's staying in the rotation. But if he keeps pitching like this, and I'm not saying every start he's going to strike out 10 guys, but if he keeps giving you good starts like this, you know, he's got to stay. He, he's, he is absolutely tremendous. Yeah, and, and Snit, Snit just loves the guy. So, you know, if he keeps performing, he's earned it. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised he's stretched out to go six now. I think he could have gone seven. I think he was less – he only threw 82 pitches through those six innings. So, with the bullpen blowing that game, next time they let him go seven, I bet. Uh, that was the most frustrating game of that series. That was the one where – Yeah. You know, it went six. He gave up one – three hits for the record, one run. Um, oh, okay. The slider man came in and shut him down. And then that was the game where Minter walks three guys and then Jones comes in and walks two more guys. It was just brutal. And then we yeah. we lose in 10 innings, which is – extra innings have not been our friend this year. No. All these – these Marlins games were all just exhausting. At least the second game we were kind of put over our misery fast, but every other game was just a bitch to get through. I can't imagine how much it was for the players, but it was just like – it was like every day. Acuna hits a home run. Great. Um, bullpen blows it. We lose in a heartbreaking fashion with the exception of today. If we had lost this game today, I might, you know, it's not something where it's like all hope is lost or anything like that, but you just feel so shitty if you lose this game today. Yeah, I've already gotten to the point of, you know, turning off the game a little early sometimes when I know what's coming. They they, they haven't given me the confidence in them yet that they're that just bulldog of a team that's going to figure it out. Like la- last night, we need what, one run? And we have the top of our order coming up, and they just go down one, two, three. Like that killer instinct's not there yet. Hopefully, a walk off in extra innings like we got today kind of jump starts us again. But it's it's been a weird start, Graham. But we can't throw our hats in yet. No, it's two weeks in the season. You're five and eight. You know this division's going to be tough. Like we've only played guys in the division, and every series has been a bitch. It's been competitive. It's not like there's only one game where we got our you know our asses really kicked, which was that that Marlins game. Um, you can argue the second game against the Phillies. You know they kicked our butt too. They won by four. But every other game, with the exception of those, have been you know decided by one or two runs. But yeah, I still got faith in this team. Last thing we should talk about, Adam, before we move on. Um, I know we've already spent like six hours talking about the Braves again. Is that horrible play on Sunday Night Baseball? Alec Baum. Somehow called safe when his foot never, ever touched the plate. It was the deciding run, and that and that loss to the Phillies and spurred a four-game losing streak. Arguably, that it they haven't yeah. gotten over it. Obviously, he was out and never touched the plate. I don't know if you saw that. Some dude posted like a video that shows like all like four different camera angles, and you can see that there's no way that like big toe ever slid over the plate like all those greasy philly fans were trying to say it's yeah it just sucks like who knows if we win that game but at least we have the chance to win that game and 
I've heard this conversation a million times all week. It's just silly how bad this MLB replay situation is where they're the replay center is trying to affirm whether or not the call is correct instead of just looking at the play without knowing what the umpire said and seeing all the evidence and be like, oh, obviously he never touched home plate. It shouldn't matter what the umpire on the field called. Just get the call right if you're going to do it or don't do it at all. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. You know what's interesting? So for those that don't know, I umpired for about three years Little League ball, ranging anywhere from T-ballers to 13-year-olds. And one of the things I was taught as an umpire, this is obviously before replay and obviously in T-ball, you don't have fucking replay, even now I'm sure, is always stick by your partner. When your partner makes a call, even if it's wrong, do not overturn it. Well, there you go. (laughs) Right. So I was, but, you know, and this guy that I was umpiring with who told me that, you know, an umpire on college level and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, he, he would like go across the country when it wasn't, um, you know, in season here in Atlanta and he was a good umpire. I thought he missed a call at one point and the coach went nuts and I was 17 and I was, you know, I was like, well, I thought maybe he was safe. And then it became a whole fucking issue. I shouldn't have said anything, but he told me after that, he's like, look, no matter what, someone makes a call, you stick with that person. That's your teammate out here. It's just the way it goes. Now, my thing is, is that. Obviously, we didn't have replay then, and 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 when in that twelve year old baseball game with MLB, I don't understand why you're going to put in replay, and then it's clearly, clearly, you know the the call needs to be overturned, and they don't overturn it. It just makes y'all look worse at the end of the day. I get standing beside your brother and saying this, but you know what? Things happen and it's fast, especially at the MLB level. I mean, Jesus Christ. Place of the plate were always the most intense thing for me, and I was doing it with like you know eight year olds. So I can't imagine what it's like calling a play when it's at the MLB level. Um, but just get it right, regardless of what it is. I mean, there's also another play. I think the uh, the Marlins game where we challenged a play uh, in terms of we were tagging someone out at second, and the call went to us, and they did overturn it. And I was like, is this just like a? And I, I thought the Marlins player was safe, and I was like, what is this a gimme call because y'all y'all fucked us on Sunday Night Baseball? Hundred percent, it was, yeah. It's it's ridiculous to me. And I will also call out that umpire behind the plate for not being in the pro- proper position to make that, that play. When a ball is thrown from left field, you are taught to go you know, closer to the first baseline so you can see that play clearly. This guy, this home plate umpire, was, you know, he was like right behind Darno. He couldn't see it. He was in bad position. He set off this whole cataclysmic event by just not doing his job correctly. Yeah, regardless of where the umpire on the field was, like we can agree, it's fine to miss a call like that every now and then. But if you're gonna have re- if you're yes. gonna have replay, because that that it looked very damn close. But then you could tell on replay, oh, he never touched the plate. And I get it, you couldn't tell from one single angle, but piece all the different shots together, you know he did not touch home plate. So hopefully, for the sake of sanity, let's hope that we don't like. Lose to the Phillies by one game this year. We we still won that series. That's two out of three. That's the good thing. But that that one was uh that was tough to take Monday morning. Yeah, that 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 really sucked. That really put a uh, crawl in my stew on on Sunday night. And I think 
you know, the, the thing that's frustrating is that it's not going to get better. Replaying baseball is still going to always suck overall. And umpires in baseball have sucked, and MLB have sucked for a long time. There are guys that shouldn't be working anymore, like Angel Hernandez, who consistently makes just terrible calls behind the plate. And this is, you know, a brotherhood of umpires. A lot of them have been doing it for 30-plus years. And it's just the way it is. And it's a big it's a big middle finger to baseball fans everywhere and dilutes the game, I think, when you don't make the right call and you have the technology to do so. It'd be one thing if we didn't have replay and it's like, okay, guy missed a call. Sucks, but, you know, that's life. Exactly like you're saying. What's the point of having it if you're not going to get it right? Yeah, just the fact that I was able to sit here while you were talking and write down three different umpires' names, that's a problem. Do you know any NBA yeah. referees' names? No. Actually, no. Joey Crawford. I think he's an NBA ref, which I wrote okay. him down. But And I know there's the, the, the woman referee I see every once in a while in a Hawks game. But don't you don't her know her name. You should not know an umpire's no. name. You know, Sam Holbrook, who we will remember forever in infamy for calling that infield fly when the ball was clearly... 100 feet into the outfield. Laz Diaz, Angel Hernandez, we should not know your names. Like, No. And, like, it, it is unbelievable those guys are still employed. We could go down a whole rabbit hole here, Graham. But I'm starting to become team robot umpire. Why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it because, I mean, when you, yeah, you got to be careful with a robot umpire because you got to figure out, like, okay, what's the universal strike zone? How are people going to make, you know, how is the robot going to make fucking call at home plate and stuff like that? But you can you can figure that out with technology. And I liked I, lo- I really liked being an umpire, um, particularly when I was in the field. I didn't have the pressure on me to call every freaking ball and strike. But, you know, I just want to get it right. Whatever it takes to get it right, it needs to happen. And if these umpires would just use the replay correctly and and make the right call, then we wouldn't be talking about robot umpires. But they're just hurting themselves by not getting the calls right. I think you just give Timothy Miller a mic and have a little headpiece in his ear and he will relay to us whatever the call is, safe route. Timothy Miller will sing it to us. That's the way of the future, Graham. I like it. Oh, man. We can talk a lot of baseball, man. Yeah. Should we transition to some Hawks basketball? I I think so. There you are, Mr. Hawk. Great to hear from you as always. These Atlanta Hawks, Graham, they just keep winning. It's unbelievable what they've been doing this week where the last two games, they've won without Trey Young. They've basically been missing their top five players. Well, not top five, but like five of their top seven players, and they keep keep winning. Just sub in Brandon Goodwin, and he'll give you 17, 18 points and seven assists. It's It's ridiculous, like... Nate McMillan, like that is what has showed me Nate McMillan. He's the guy. Yeah, when when you're winning without Trey Young, particularly beating Charlotte was huge, and and Bogdanovich um, over the last couple weeks has been huge. He scored at least twenty points, I think, like four or five times. Dropped thirty two against Charlotte when Trey was out. Dropped twenty three against Toronto when Trey was out. Um, he has found his groove. Absolutely found his groove. Um, particularly the last two weeks. I mean, he's done well. Since he's come back, but you know he was sort of mired and you know shaking off the rust a little bit. Now he just he's he's a smooth operator, man. He's draining threes. He's taking great mid range jumpers. Getting people, other people involved as well. 
Quinn Capella is just rebounding his heart out. 21 boards against Toronto the other night. 15 against Charlotte. Um, you know, he's constantly getting just double-digit rebounds every game. He is the best rebounder in basketball. No one no one comes close. So so you're you're on team bogey now, huh? Yeah, and I was never really against him. I just I was just impatient on wanting him to 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 play like I know he can play. And he is doing that in spades right now. I mean, hell, we're playing, you know what? We're playing the Bucks tonight. It is uh I think we're only 3 games back of the of Milwaukee for the third seed right now. We play them two more times this year including tonight, once tonight and then once on uh, I think April 25th. Shit, man. This this team is is peaking at the exact right time to to close out the, the year. The, the the season ends in May, which is a little odd for the NBA. Um but and we know why because because of COVID, the season started late. But I I love where this team's at right now. And Nate McMillan to me Unless we suffer some catastrophic collapse, has earned this job, hundred percent. I, I am a full believer. Yeah, there's no doubt. The Schlenk was on ninety-two-nine the game earlier this week, talking about McMillan, and he didn't say the job is his, but he was extremely complimentary of the job he's done. Right. And the fact that we are just firmly into the four, four seed right now, winning games with Brandon Goodwin, our third point guard starting it it's it's ridiculous there's no way we win any games without trey young when lloyd pierce was our coach like yeah i completely agree like anytime i would see like a brad roland tweet saying oh trey's out tonight i'm like okay that's we're gonna lose by like 30 and then i'd be so surprised to look during this mcmillan era and be like holy shit we won by 15 what the hell's going on it's a it's a different brand of basketball they believe in the guy, but we're getting to a weird point where there's only what, like four weeks of the season left. Yeah. Season ends uh, May 16th. we got about a month left of the season. Yep. So all these guys that are injured right now, Collins, Deandre Hunter still, I'm not even going to talk about Chris Dunn until I actually see that guy on the court. Like, <laughs> I don't think he exists. That's how much I, I <laughs> I've seen, I've seen yeah, YouTube highlights. I don't, I don't think he I've exists. seen YouTube highlights of him in a Bulls uniform. That's all I know about him. Okay, but I mean, I know they came out with an update on Reddish, and he still has to be reevaluated in two weeks. So we can't get him up to speed. He was never up to speed to begin with this year. So I think just cross out Cam Reddish for being any sort of factor in the playoffs. But at this point, I just want to get John Collins back. And throw him in with Trey Young and a healthy Gallinari and Bogey and see what can happen. If if DeAndre Hunter can play, great. But the depth is just so awesome right now that we can still be competitive without these guys. Yeah, and that's and that's huge. And and kudos to Schlenk for getting guys like Bogdanovich and Gallinari. It hasn't always been pretty. I'm really just proud of this team for persevering. They could have packed it in even after Lloyd Pierce was fired and everything. They play with so much heart, and they're and they're doing such a great job of just playing good team basketball. Um, and and in all aspects, just ball movement looks good. Everybody's in tune, and you know you're just missing so many of your good players. You're missing JC. You're missing Trey. You're missing DeAndre. I I really hope if we can have those three healthy or healthy enough in the playoffs. I mean, we know Trey will be healthy and I, I believe john will be too deandre's a question mark right now but if we have those three and everybody keeps playing you know close to this level i i look forward to seeing what the hawks do in the playoffs i don't think they're going to win the finals or anything like that but they can win a playoff round 
hundred percent they can win a playoff round. I, I I know I was saying that, and that was sort of a pipe dream to me earlier in the year. But like if they're playing this well now, and we get those guys back, um, the 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 rest of the lower seeds in the Eastern Conference need to be uh, on watch. And I God, I would love to get that three seed, man. That would be so cool. I think that's that's a bit of a pipe dream, but even getting the four seed, it's like home court advantage is huge for this team. So that is an opportunity for us to win at least one series. Yeah, and I imagine more folks will hopefully be let in as as time goes on and more people get vaccinated. So that, that will play a big factor, I think, in the Hawks continuing to elevate their play. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's awesome to sit here on April 15th. Pretty confident. I'll, I'll knock on wood. But Hawks are firmly a playoff team at this point. And now it is just a matter of seeding and hopefully getting some of these bodies back and acclimated to the team. But, I mean, it's awesome that we've been able to sustain our four seed despite losing all these bodies. And, you know, I tell you what, Graham, before this podcast, I was watching a little bit of the Hawks-Bucks game. And it it was on Mm -hmm. TNT. Not on Fox, well, Valley South or whatever they call it nowadays. TNT. When's the, I don't think I've seen a National Hawks game since 2017, maybe? Uh, not true. We played the Mavericks, remember, earlier this year on ESPN. Okay. It doesn't happen often. But I get your point. We don't, we don't get, especially this time of year. Right. We weren't, yeah, we weren't getting this uh, with the exception of like the, 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 the mythical 2014-2015 team. It's it's cool to see, and especially with the Braves being a little frustrating right now, that we can still fall back and feel good about our city watching the Hawks. Yeah, who would have thunk that? I would think it would be the inverse, and it has been for for a minute. But yeah, good job, Hawks. Keep it up. We love you guys. And uh, yeah, I think Nate McMillan should be in consideration for Coach of the Year. Not that we care about awards on this show, but just, just show some respect to that guy for completely turning around this team and still dealing with a shit ton of injuries. Yep, I've, I've heard a lot of talk about that as well. I think it sounds like it would be tough as an interim coach, but yeah, he's got to be in the running for sure. What would be great is if the Hawks say at the end of the year, all right, he's our guy, and then the NBA says, okay, Coach of the Year. What a, what a return to, for him. Think about his journey in terms of, of, of where he uh, – where he started, where he was the the you know, he played for the Sonics for for twelve years, then he was assistant coach for the Sonics, and then he coached him, head coach for five years. Then he went to Portland for seven years. Then he goes back to the assistant coach train with Indiana. Then he's the head coach of the Pacers for a little bit. And then he's the assistant for the Hawks. Now he's the head coach of the Hawks, interim head coach. So it's been like sort of up and down for him in terms of just you know he hasn't been consistently a head coach. Um, you know, throughout his career, like a lot of guys, you know, will ride the assistant coach line for a while. And then, you know, they'll be solidified as kind of a, um, as a head coach. But for him, it's been, it's been a, it's been an up and down journey in terms of, you know, losing a job and then, you know, losing a head coaching job and assistant, like promotion, demotion, whatever. But love that he's, he's having just so much success now. Fantastic. Who knows how long it will last. And I, you know, I, they should make him the head coach, but you know, in this moment, He's proven his his medal and his worth as a, as a coach in this league. I, I guess the only hope is, and this would be very true to Atlanta moment, if we offer it to him and he doesn't want to be a full time head coach again. Like, remember he was a little hesitant to take over for Lloyd Pierce in the first place. Right. I think it's just because he was close with Lloyd, though. Right? Yeah, maybe he's a 
at a point in his life, he, I mean, he's had two long head coaching stints. Maybe he just like kind of wants to not be the guy with all the pressure on his back. I, I think if that was the case, he wouldn't have taken the, the job because there was a lot of pressure coming into this job with how poorly the team was playing, all the injuries, Lloyd Pierce leaving. If he was, if he had that mindset, this is my opinion, I can't speak for him, but if he had that mindset, I don't think he would have taken the, the role, the job. Well, I think it's a complete... Even just an I think it's a completely different thing because, like, he knows that Lloyd Pierce is fired, and he's been with these players all year, and he knows that they need him. So maybe he's like, "I'll just ride it out this year, and then I'm going to ride off into the sunset after this." We're both completely speculating here, but I'm just—it's sure. a possibility. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. I mean, he—he's not exactly you know really young, but he's not old. He's like 55 or something, 56. So. We'll see what happens by the end of the year, but regardless of, of the outcome, no one can take away what he's doing right now. So, Graham, I vote that we save all our Falcons stuff for two weeks from now prior to the huge NFL draft. Maybe something big will happen trade-wise before then. I don't know, but we do need to mention we are an Atlanta professional sports podcast, and I think the Atlanta United are good again, Graham. Yeah, they're doing well in CONCACAF. we got to get either Joseph or Alexa on to tell us, or Arthur, tell us what the hell's going on over there. I've heard they're playing fast again, and they, they seem fun. So let's let's not even attempt any more soccer talk than that. <laughs> I think that was that was as much as we've done in over a, well over a year. Yeah, since quarantine, for sure. Well, Adam, I think this episode has uh, needs to go on for another two hours, so what else you got? The- <laughs> We've talked WrestleMania, an hour of Braves, and some Hawks, and Atlanta United. I think we've covered it all. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Adam. Had a hell of an episode today. Classic Graham Rants and, and good times, I hope, were had by all. We want to thank you guys out there for listening, and we hope you're doing well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Until then, rise up, mix it up, unite and conquer, and remain true. To Atlanta. Hospitometer sip. Hospitometer sip.